everyone and welcome to the Jam Jar Jill podcast. I am Jill of jamjarjill.com and I have three different stems to my business which are ever developing but I'll try and explain it to you in layman's terms. Um, so the first one is jamjarjill.com which has been around for 13 years now and it is my platform. I brand it as being an eco-influencer so I use my platforms um, to try and communicate more natural ways of living, more eco ways to live and to be a conscious consumer in really reachable ways, really affordable ways for the everyday person. Um, then a couple of years ago, I also launched as a virtual assistant um, to help small businesses thrive with everything which I learned through both the content creation space um, through my brand and also through customer service and communication through the corporate world. So if you need any help in your small business, then please do give me a shout. Um, and then the final stem is this podcast, which is my absolute passion project. And it's all about holistic health. And talking to people, again, about more natural ways to live, more natural ways to connect and reconnect with their own bodies and their own brains. And um, I just love everything about holistic health. I've been into yoga since I was 15, but since having children, I have had my own journey with insomnia and anxiety and went down the pharmaceutical route, managed to get off it and um, it didn't suit me and then just have been deep diving further and further into different techniques and things and different specialisms which have helped me with rebalancing my hormones and helping me sleep and all these different things and I now refer to it as my holistic toolkit which I'm always adding to <laughs> as I learn new things. Today's specialist is um, Kaz Hinchcock, who runs a company called The Gravity Technique. Um, I'm just going to read a quick bio about Kaz here. So um, Kaz is an anatomy and human movement expert, specialising in fixing faulty movement patterns to alleviate chronic joint pain. Her own personal journey, paired with her ex extensive knowledge, inspired her to create a unique modality called the gravity technique. For many years, Kaz was a yoga teacher, but frustrated with the level of knowledge provided in her training to help clients with various injuries they'd come to her with. She embarked on a 10-year journey to dissect, quite literally, the body and learn about the world of fascia, fascia. fascia and anatomy in motion. She now teaches and coaches anyone in pain, as well as training fellow yoga and movement professionals and anyone keen to learn to up-level their skills and help their clients on a whole new level. Kaz's mission is to denormalize the narrative that pain is just a part of life and something that we have to put up with. 
I just love this because, and we're going to deep dive into your whole narrative, your whole story, but I just love the piece around the fact that you came up with challenges in your own life and then you use that as a learning experience to both heal yourself in the first instance and then you loved what you found so much that you then turn that into a business to help others and I just think that's an utterly beautiful thing so thank you for being my guest and welcome to the podcast thank you so much for having me Jill I appreciate it so much yeah you know I've been been off on this journey simply because I didn't have the answers to questions that I had post surgery post illness that sort of stuff so yeah I'm I'm really excited to to be here and deep dive into it with you I think it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun yeah absolutely well let's start with the beginning so in your own words who are you and where are you from (laughs) who am I I? well I'm a mom yeah of course so um yeah who's I'm a mom who's just been in transition actually because um I've been ponder, I ponder things a lot. <laughs> and I've been pondering recently the transition of of my daughter turning 17 and going to college. And, you know, when they're small, they're a bit full on and you're changing nappies and you're doing dinners and actually navigating GCSEs and then going to college has been kind of going through that intense process again and then for her to suddenly skyrocket her independence and not need me as much has been an interesting and emotional experience so yeah I'm a mom first and foremost um my work is not work really (laughs) it's it's a passion like you said I love the way you said passion project um I can't do anything else I don't think Um, I've always been fascinated by how people move. I've always been fascinated by human bodies and movement. I started yoga like yourself at a really, really early age. So I went when I was 15 um, to yoga with my mom, but she'd always, we had yoga books around the house, some really good 70s books with some rainbow lycra clad ladies on the front. And I was always fascinated by, by those. So and just I, I can help people feel better. I can get people out of pain. It's something that I found I had a natural aptitude very early on. I had a natural gift for being able to translate things that are experiential and articulate them well into ways that people can understand easily and then embody for themselves. So um, that took me out of corporate fairly, fairly early on. I think I had a I think I had a real job for the a grand total of about six years <laughs> before I started freelancing for myself. So, yeah, the the life's work, if you like, uh, that I do in my day to day, obviously forms a a deep part of that. Um, I'm a cat mum. Yeah, I'm a cat mum. <laughs> well, I'm a cat mum and cat staff. I think. Yeah. They run the roost, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) We get very offended when you bring babies into the scenario and and they're like, wait, what? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a cat mom. (laughs) You'll mostly find me hanging around in coffee shops, drinking coffee um, and, you know, chatting to people about usually existential quantum mechanics. I love it. I love it. 
we never nobody ever turns up and goes oh did you see the game at the weekend no that just that literally <laughs> never happened that I just like no no <laughs> I do think that people fall back on that yeah. stuff when they have nothing else to talk about so um so it, it's not I I will deep dive into all sorts just uh there's one particular school mum um who you know, she lives opposite me, and and every time we walk back from the school run, we end up standing on the end of her drive for half an hour, deep diving into mental health. And I'm just oh. like, if someone else is seeing it, listening to this, it's so funny. And I said, yeah, but I that's love it. It gives me such a high to have those conversations. And I think that's, that's the self development world, though, isn't it? You know, when when you you're doing self development work, and then you've got friends that do that as well. Yeah, and you up, and everyone's like, oh, "Guess what? I've been working on yeah, this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you're um, like, "Oh!" And it always ends up aligning as well. And you're like, oh, "This thing, yeah." Like, why haven't I? I think this is the beautiful thing about getting older is this whole like wisdom piece and um you know becoming better friends with yourself and your own body and and understanding it more and more and becoming the expert of your own life and your own body and and how best to find your own boundaries your own setup yeah that's kind of what that's sort of what I do in my day-to-day mm. yeah <laughs> um, I live in Chilton, so a lot of time outside in nature in the woods that sort of thing and um you know whilst I only have one child mm-hmm. my brother and sister made up for my deficit and I have many 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 nie- nieces and nephews so uh I think I think we're eight or nine in fact oh now. my goodness wow yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my brother needed a subscription to Sky Sports definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> do they live quite close to you or no they're all in Devon Oh, okay. So, like, nice group of people to go down and visit. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. it's a mini break. It's a mini break. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, I'm going to have laid out some general questions to guide us through this conversation. So I'll I'll plod on through because I think this um, talks us through your general narrative and and will give people the idea of how you came to do what you do. Um, So the first one I have is, how did becoming a mother change how you viewed your working life? And, and what were you doing before? So I used to work in property. Oh. <laughs> did what? <laughs> yeah, I used to work in property. I had this great idea. I liked working in property because I'm generally quite nosy because I love humans. Yes. And I've always loved humans. And now, now I work in human movement. But again, it's just an excuse for me to get into people's lives and just be epic mm. level nosy. And, you know, working in, in property was exactly the same. I got to nose into people's houses and just, yeah, just be satisfied my curious nature. You can tell so much about people by the the world that they create around them so I I find that so fascinating I think that's so true and I also love interiors and architecture and all that I also love like looking at people in the supermarket queue and seeing what they're buying and being like (laughs) oh yeah about what you're doing absolutely absolutely yeah so I worked in property and you know I had this this great idea that I was going to take a few weeks off literally and you know just um pop this baby out have a rest for 26 weeks and then go back to work and I didn't 
no <laughs> it really <laughs> it was actually life-changing and I think it's so funny isn't it it's the illusion of what maternity leave will be before maternity leave and uh, just you think you're gonna be oh with my time off I'm going to do all this stuff but yeah and then you do and it and like yeah. it I had no idea that I would become quite so attached to the child that I just birthed as well. So I absolutely did not want to leave her. But um, the the yoga that I had been practicing, I had my daughter when I was 26. So I was, you know, categorized as quite young. But the yoga that I had been practicing at that point for a little over 10 years supported me all through the pregnancy. I'd already been through um three major abdominal surgeries by that point and I'd spent a lot of my young life not um having been told I wasn't allowed to have children I had a failing kidney in situ and weight in the system that would be caused by growing a growing a baby was generally just a bit frowned upon so until the age of 21 it was sort of well you know having kids is just not on the table if you want to keep the kidney as it was the kidney failed and I had it removed in 2001 which then changed the game completely but I did have scar tissue problems and and they were just starting to become apparent so by the time I got to sort of 25 I was I'd been practicing yoga daily for for an, a period of time I've been quite diligent with the practice and I, w- I was very fit I was fit mm. in my body I was fit in my mind and it just seemed for, to my husband and I at the time it seemed um the right you know if we were going to do it and then we had a chat with the doctors and the consultants that supported me at that point and they just said yeah you know if you if you're going to do it let's do it now let's yeah. not wait till you're 33 or you know mid mid 30s so we we took that decision at the time um, and, you know, had the most, most boring pregnancy on the planet. I did a deal with my midwife that I wanted to have my baby at home mm. um, because of the surgery or surgical history that I had. And I, I had this idea that if I went into hospital, it would just turn into a bit of a zoo. They were going to want to monitor me and the baby. And I didn't want to do that. So I did a deal with my midwife. She told me if I presented her with the most boring pregnancy she'd ever seen, she would allow me to stay home. And we lived quite in quite close proximity to mm. um, the Royal Berkshire Hospital. So we weren't that far away from that. So they mm. just said, it's okay. Mm. And I did that. Um, but the yoga that had supported me up until that point and then got me through this beautiful um, birthing experience, which I feel so privileged and blessed to have because I work with clients almost on a weekly basis that are working with some sort of birthing trauma or they've got stories mm-hmm. to tell me about their, their birth experience it's not it's not always the rainbows and unicorns that we I are don't think to I was there yet or... yeah I I, <laughs> I kind of did myself a disservice and I know it's the whole and um, my Angelo once you know better do better and stuff so I do need to let this go and stop beating myself up for it but as soon as I found out I was having twins which was a complete surprise I was like well I want a section it just felt like my gut instinct um and it turned out it, I was right because one of them did need oxygen when he was born so 
actually I mean only briefly but if I tried to deliver them both vaginally then that wouldn't have worked and then I sort of fought tooth and nail for this plan c-section had it booked in for 37 weeks and then my water broke at 35 plus one and uh I hadn't mentally prepared for labour at all, so I completely freaked out and ended up with an emergency section because the surgeon, the nice surgeon, had walked into the room and was like, oh, Miss Perkins, do you still want that section? And I'm like, <laughs> just horrendous. And, yeah, then followed by eight days in hospital hell, as I call it. Um, also, the disservice bit was that I thought because... I was going for that section that the yoga community wouldn't accept me because they would see that as unnatural. And the irony is that I've I've connected with like doulas and 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 people since giving birth and realized that was a ridiculous limitation I gave myself because these people had all sorts of different birth stories and definitely wouldn't have judged me. And so actually I didn't, and I hadn't found YouTube yoga at that point either. So I barely did any yoga during pregnancy, even though I'd been doing it beforehand. Yeah, it was all a bit mad really, because it was then with the challenges I had after giving birth, then I kind of got into the daily practicing of yoga through YouTube. And that was a complete game changer because prior to that, my story with yoga was doing like one class a week or something. But like doing 10 minutes a day is a complete game changer, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely is. And I think... I think it's important that we understand the umbrella term yoga, that it's not just movement. Yeah. It's it's a mindset that gives you a foundation for life. Does it actually Um, translate as unity? I think it does, doesn't it? Yoga unity. There's a few different um, translations of it. So yoga is taken from the Sanskrit, which is now a defunct language. So we have, you know, with rough translations into you know, you've got this ancient defunct language and then you've got English, which is actually a fairly new Latin-based language. So, mm-hmm. you know, translating one into the other is it can be quite tricky to do. But but generally, there's, there's two syllables in there, which is yuja. And, you know, it means the, to yoke together or to yeah. bring together or to find unity. And, you know, the, Between the general... Between brain and body... Well, the general thought process is, is be, between it is, is that you have a, a micro energetic energy inside you. And obviously the universe is the macro energy and you want to bring those two together. So you still your body, you still your mind enough that your energy can connect with, you know, the great whatever is up there. Mm-hmm. Some people, God, some people, universe, some call it source, some call it energy, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, but it's, you know, for me, the the way that I have always taught, the way that I teach and the way that I practice, it's it's seeking to unify or reconnect ourselves, A, to ourself mm-hmm. and then B, to our environment. Mm-hmm. And, as, you know, as an eco-influencer, the systematic disconnection to our environment is why oh, we're God, so yeah. readily available to um, doing things that are, are destructive to our planet. But it's the same for bodies. Yeah. The more disconnected we become from the body, the more able we are to, um, you know, engage in destructive and unhealthy 
practices, you know, eating things that we shouldn't be and drinking things that we shouldn't be. And this is where mindfulness is so important because actually taking moments to pause and question what we're doing and how we're doing it and if we're only doing it because it's always been done that way, I think is so important in almost every aspect of life, whether that's dealing with our health, whether that's how we consume, whether that's how we talk to people, you know, everything should be a constant learning journey, in my opinion. Absolutely. The ability to stay curious and to continue to learn is is fundamental to our growth and development. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, the way the world is set up, it's, it's not our fault. Because no, the way, the way that the world is set up is, is to keep us busy. We are bombarded constantly with information. Most of it is useless. Yeah. We don't need you know, I fall out with my mum on a regular basis because we don't have any media in our house. We have a media blackout. Mm-hmm. We have no need for the news. And, you know, my mum's like, how do you not know what's going on in the world? And yeah. it's like, well, I will, I will hear it if there's something that I need to know. Yeah, that's how I feel. Please hear about the important things that, that require our mm-hmm. attention it's also biased, though. I mean, I um, really have a bad relationship with the press and just don't think they bring yes. good to the world. I do think that, you know, news media as a general medium is just so negative in this country. And it is interesting to know that it isn't the case in all parts of the world, because I remember talking to a colleague about this and she had a friend living in New Zealand at the time and and she was like, well, over there, it's just they focus on positive news stories. And I just think it's all about getting the numbers, getting the figures, scaremongering people, um, getting people to do things out of fear, you know. And But also, I do think there's a piece around the way different people digest the news, because my husband is quite similar to your mum in that way, by the sound of it, in that he very much believes that you know, you should stay informed and you should know what's going on in the world. But then he will read a narrative and he's explained this to me around something negative going on. And that translates to him as making him feel so lucky for what we have. Whereas Mm. for me, that, and I think it's a personality thing as well. I don't know how much is a gender thing, but I won't go off on that tangent. Um, (laughs) Is um, I just feel completely out of control that I can't help. And so it will trigger my anxiety. If I know something awful is happening, I'll just feel even more out of control. So that doesn't help me. (laughs) And, And I think, again, it's that piece around as you get older, knowing your own boundaries, knowing your own limitations, And I completely agree with you. And there's so many, there are so many women I know who take a similar stance on the news in that it's not that we're trying for blissful ignorance. It's that actually there's something very powerful about focusing on yours and your own and bringing them up to be the best version that you can and you are contributing to the world. And it is that value proposition which you are doing through motherhood. I mean, circling back around to our question there of becoming a mother and how it changed your view on working life. So you obviously then made that big shift and we're just like, no, I don't want to work in property anymore. So it wasn't it wasn't just that. It was that I was very, very unsupported in my return to work. It yeah. was, you know, in yeah 
it's interesting, isn't it? You, it sounds like it's from the eighties, but it wasn't. It was actually two thousand and six. But actually, f- facilitating yeah. a return to work was incredibly difficult. Childcare costs for myself and my husband it was a fair whack out of our salary and would you know even because I didn't want to go full time so I just Mm. wanted a couple of days a week and trying to find that middle ground meant that I would be working for free effectively Mm. you know even that's the the thing you say that's 2006 I was 2016 and that was very similar to my experience you know yeah Literally. Yeah, they just. So, um, it's it's just I I ended up concluding as that really we're still in a place in society where the the real route for women who have children or caring responsibilities who want to develop their career and have a creative career or have the ability to have development and excitement in their working lives is to go freelance. You know, yeah. you have to almost take that leap, or you have to accept this status quo which just doesn't seem to fit because I came back eight months after having twins feeling like I'd been through something that I was a proper grown-up now that I'd managed to survive this season and 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 I had two thriving babies you know this was a big thing and I went back in and I always say this like some of it may have been in my own head but it was very much like the whole narrative was like, oh, you're a pain in the ass now. You you can't be reliable. And then add insomnia and anxiety and, and struggles like that on top of the childcare responsibilities. And it's just, it doesn't fit. They can't cope with it. And you can't cope with the flexibility still. Yeah. And I think things are changing in that space and people are trying to push forward with it. But the whole problem is that capitalism is based on human beings being machines and we're not machines and it seems fundamentally that you get to a point in your life whether it's becoming a parent or whether it's you know having health challenges or whether it's having other caring responsibility challenges and you can't just go and sit in your cubicle and do the nine to five anymore and it doesn't work you know they can't cope with it because they want you to do that specific thing in that specific way and the whole world changes when you go through something like that I think it's it's not just a workplace issue obviously there is a workplace issue it's at home as well because when we yes we bring children into the family life and and you know if something happens if your child is sick at school Mm. it's my phone that rings yes always Yes. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, we are still the primary carer, mm. despite having to the, the desire to wish to return to work. So it's not shared responsibility. No. It's not, oh, today your phone is going to ring if our child gets... And you have to really sick. fight tooth and nail to even get any of that status quo away on, on an, any front. You know, we've managed now, or I've managed now, <laughs> to have like one of the evening activities is his. And, and he's got, you know he's on the WhatsApp group and he gets the updates and he deals with it all. And it's so refreshing. Yes. <laughs> but, but, you yeah. know, if, if you go to holiday club and even if there's a space to put two emergency contacts, you know they're going to call the mother. <laughs> you yeah. know they are yeah. because that's yeah. what they do. Yeah. But- so there's, there's a fundamental shift to be had on, mm-hmm. on many different fronts there. Yes, there is an employer 
issue and we need a within the work within the workplace but there also needs to be this shift in the um in the emergency context and how how things are being I mean I can preach on about this all day long because I've been yeah. a lone parent since 2011 yeah. so <laughs> it's been post-feminist generation which we're in where it was like you sort of I was born in 1983, I'm not sure. But it was just like, I was taught, well, you can do anything. You can be anyone. You can have it all. But then, mm -hmm. of course, having it all isn't actually... I heard a wonderful analogy on um, on Instagram, actually, the other day, where there was this lady, it was a, a snappet of a, of a TED Talk, and just like, in what situation is having it all a good idea? <laughs> Actually, you know, he's rave on about having it all being this wonderful thing. But when do you walk away from an all-you-can-eat buffet feeling great? <laughs> and I thought that was such a great analogy because I was just like, ha, that's true, you know. Actually, it's far better to have some version of limitation and boundaries and protecting your version of this world and this life which you want to create so that yeah. you can enjoy it you know it doesn't have to be all because we can't do it all and I think that's why you know my generation of mothers are all crumbling <laughs> because we're all trying to have it all because that was the narrative we were brought up with I think the the feminist movement definitely on that on that side and of course, we we you know there has to be the rise of the feminine. There was a point where where we were disempowered to mm -hmm. you know a very level. So we did need that, and we we still do. Mm. But the pendulum swing was so great. But I think the it always reminds me of um, Pirates of the Caribbean, where she she's on the boat and she wants to go. You know, she says, yeah, I want you to go away and never come back. And they go, right, off we go then. And she said, well, no, you have to take me back home. And he said, well, you didn't you didn't factor that into mm -hmm. our negotiation. And what I really feel in the rise of the feminine, the feminism um, argument was that we did not negotiate equal rights in parenting. Mm. We negotiated equal rights within the workplace, but we failed to put the parenting on the table. Yeah. So we were That's kind of the other yeah, yes, you can come into the workplace. Yes, you can start, you know, to close the gender pay gap. Yes, you can start to have um, CEO roles, all of this stuff. But a little bit like Cinderella, you get to go when you've done all your jobs, when you've changed the shitty nappies, when you've done all the dinners, when you've cleaned the house, when, you know, when you've done all your chores, mm. then you get to go to the, C the CEO role. And then and there's so that, much guilt around... Everywhere seeking yeah. as well yeah I think and, and of course that, that's not true for everybody because I know people that have you know had fabulous roles one of I'm thinking of one of my friends actually she's had an amazing career in fashion but her husband chose to stay home and take on the primary carer role so mm -hmm. there are you know instances where that, that happens but they are the rule, they are in they are in the minority absolutely absolutely I mean like I say for me I've, I haven't had to deal with with that because I've been among you know it's just been myself and my daughter since since 2011 and um you know she's she's my wingwoman <laughs> yeah. we're a team 
you know, once upon a time, it was me and my team of, you know, one six-year-old. And uh, <laughs> now, 11 years on, I have, you know, my team with my 17-year-old. And she's a savvy, she's a savvy young, young person um, coming up hot on my heels, actually, which, yeah. which is a great, great thing. Um, I think probably my advice to her would be not to be too independent. Mm. You know, we do Lone, Lone Ranger mode is quite prevalent in our house and that's the entire I'm going to take complete responsibility for that one mm. so yeah it's it's not always a good thing someone says do you need help no no I will fall yeah. on my sword and you know yeah, yeah. bleed everywhere that's and die a horrible well. death, it's it? the, I think almost <laughs> you know something I learned as well is that to not put to not need all your support system from one individual as well it's actually spacing that out and understanding that you know this particular friend is really supportive in this way you know my grandparents I love the concept of it takes a village you know to raise a child and everything like that and it really does and I just think we need to live back into that and and you know that's going to look different in everyone's different setup that's going to be a combination of maybe aunties maybe friends maybe grandparents maybe partner maybe you know there's so many different and it doesn't have to be all on one person or all on the other person you know because I don't think because actually you get all these challenges as well if you suddenly hypothetically say well the man's the primary caregiver and the woman's the breadwinner well you've just swapped it but it doesn't really solve the problem does it you know you've got to segment out things I think and and have lots of different factors involved and that's what gives me clarity I think is when I get that and it's still work in progress but um but that's it yeah um so onwards (laughs) Um, what made you decide to train as a yoga teacher and, and where and how did you do that? What what also what kind of yoga did you decide to train in? So that's a really interesting question. I'm going to try and make it short. <laughs> <laughs> so as with all things, and you've probably experienced this as well. I went to yoga with my mom when I was 15 and then when I was 19, Madonna was doing Ashtanga yoga, right? So you think this is a great idea. It's super cool. Um, It's much better than the really boring Hatha yoga that my mom's taking me to. And this is an age, you know, it's my age related thing, not nothing to do with the yoga itself. So um, off I go to Ashtanga yoga and it's transformational. Mm -hmm. It sees me through my next two surgeries. helps me to to build a stability in my body and my mind that I had not had before and you know so when you discover something that's that's really been transformational for you you want to share it with everybody else whether they want you to share it with them or not is neither here nor there because you're just out there and you're just going to yoga everybody and you're going to heal everybody in the process as well and people learn very quickly that they need to avoid you at all costs and run really fast if they're (laughs) stuck next to you at the dinner table yeah yeah Um, so, (laughs) so I started teaching people in my lounge um because you know um, 
funnily enough, everybody that I sat next to uh, at the dinner table and at dinner parties and things and at functions that I went to all said, you know, got a bad shoulder, got a bad back, got a bad hip. And I'm like, oh, this yoga can save you. It'll be, you know, absolutely amazing. So that was where I started to sort of, that was sort of started to cut my teeth really was with friends and family in the sitting room at home and people couldn't do what I did mm. because the knees were too stiff or they had an injury and I just started putting my hands on people and showing them shapes and movements and stretches and that sort of stuff that they they could do and it had amazing results so I've been mucking about you know literally just mucking about with this stuff for free for a really long time and then in the transitional phase of sort of having my daughter failed return to work and then turning my attention to something that I could do something that would complement us as a household if I could work evenings and weekends which was around my husband's working hours then you know to me that made quite good sense so I started to have a look around and it was like and also there were more and more people coming to the lounge and it was like I, I'm not actually qualified to do this stuff. I'm no. probably to go and you know get some formal qualifications. I'm loving this story. It's fascinating. <laughs> right. Yeah. So 2007, I started on. I had a look around at lots of different courses, and for those of you know, for people that follow me on social media, I have a whole soapbox reserved for. The $99, this didn't exist when I trained, by the way, but the $99, you know, online become a yoga teacher because yoga teachers are actually an unregulated industry. So there is no regulating body for yoga teachers. You can like this something circle, isn't it? No, you can be you can choose to be housed um, and covered by and insured by one of the larger yoga houses. So in the UK, that's Yoga Alliance Professionals and the British Wheel. British but that, you're, that is purely by choice. You can go and do a six week course in Bali and you can come back with a lovely certificate that will tell people that you are a fully insured, fully qualified yoga teacher. Mm. And because I just have that kind of a mind, I thought I'm not going to do that. And I couldn't bog off to Bali anyway, because I had a, a very small, you know, very small child at the time. Mm -hmm. So I had a look around and I found the British Wheel, who were the, you know, they are, I'm not sure if they're still the the largest uh, yoga teacher training body in the UK. Yoga Alliance Professionals is probably up there with them as well. So I decided to go and train with them. It's a three and a half year post-grad degree equivalent. Mm. It's huge huge <laughs> you spend a year studying anatomy and physiology you study a year breath work you study half a year in um philosophy and the ancient texts and sanskrit and then you spend half a year um studying so it's not just the 200 hours or whatever <laughs> no so that, that one is 500 contact hours but i think it ends up as you know by the time you finished it it's, it's thousands and thousands of hours there are there were many 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 nights with me up at 3 a.m um writing essays on you know really really nutsy questions like um you know like yoga philosophy yeah you know if, if the if if the mind is you know if if the if thoughts you know where do thoughts come from write 1500 words oh gosh 
So I found that I was very good at the anatomy and physiology. And I knew that my weaker areas were breathwork and meditation. And I've always been interested in the philosophy and the reading of the ancient texts anyway. So can you just give me those two authorizing bodies so I can make a note of them again? Yeah, of course. So it's Yoga Alliance Professionals, not to be confused with the Yoga Alliance, which is a global. Okay, Yoga Alliance Professionals. Yeah. And what was the other one? The British Wheel of Yoga, or BWY, I think they call themselves now. BWY. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so I went off to 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 train with them. Interestingly, the Ashtanga Yoga that I had laid down um, as a practice over those five years was starting to damage my body. I am hypermobile and am full of keloid and hypertrophic scarring. So the yoga that had started off as a great healing tool, I then had some shoulder problems. I had raging tennis elbow and I was regularly tearing the scar tissue in my side. So something wasn't quite right. Also being... It is like, for people who don't know, it's like a constant flowing... Thing, Ashtanga, isn't yeah. it? It's a bit like being <laughs> you, jump, you jump in a and out. Fast version of sun salutation, yeah. but keep going and keep going. Yeah, it's like it's like yoga hit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just yeah, you just keep going through the postures. You jump in and out of the postures, which is great for um, sixteen to twenty-one year olds. But <laughs> absolutely, yeah. and you know, I was very very flexible, but not very strong. So I was able to hang out in poses very easily. Mm. And I just got to the point where I was so stretchy. I was just sort of hanging out in, you know, downward dog and hanging out in these other postures. And the, 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 I remember the question coming in and it just said, well, is is this it? Mm, mm, mm. And, And that was, that was the question that stayed with me for the next 18 months. You know, is this it? Is this it? And I kept asking the question. And then I met a new teacher who is a Scaravelli inspired teacher. Okay, give me the spelling of that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Vanda Scaravelli, she's S C A R A V E double L I. Okay. And that's a person. She is, or she was. Yeah. She died in 1991. And she was trained in the traditional way. She was trained in the style of Iyengar yoga, who is a prominent instrumental Indian who brought yoga over to the West. Um, He taught Vanda, but she didn't start yoga until she was 40. And she understood that this kind of rigorous training was going to wear out her body. And she loved the yoga so very much that uh, she just felt that there had to be a way of working that with the body rather than pushing and pulling it around. And she was deeply influenced by, um, I suppose you would call him a thought leader in today's terms. She was heavily influenced by, by him. um, And this reconnection piece to the body that I was really missing in my own practice. So whilst I was, great at making these amazing shapes and then you know akin to sort of circus uh so you know circus skills I wasn't really that connected to my body and my breath Mm -hmm. so meeting my teacher 
she completely stripped down and rebuilt my practice. And, um, you know, as you are when you're 25 and slightly egotistical, she said, you know, have you done yoga before? And I said, oh, yes. And I'm really rather good at it, you know, because I thought I was quite proficient at the time. It's interesting at 44 years old, I know less now, I think, than I ever have my whole life. I'm more a beginner now than I've ever been. But but that's the fascinating thing is, again, we're told at 18 and again I hope this narrative changes over time but we have to decide what we're going to do with our lives so the people who are successful are the people who know exactly what they want to do and they already are good at it and they've done x y and z and and then you kind of you get to actual grown-up age (laughs) rather than legal grown-up age and you're just like oh shit I literally knew nothing (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was it was such it was a pivotal moment in my life Mm. that she helped me to really see in myself for the first time um, what faulty movement patterns look like Mm. and the healing patterns that I had developed over a long time. I had my first surgery when I was 12 years old. So I don't actually remember what it's like to be without this 11 inch scar that is you know, running completely around my right side. So, you know, all kind of idea of what alignment is, what straight is, how to run my body in a way that is useful um, without compensatory and habitual movement patterns, without firing favorite muscles. And of course the upshot was I was doing sun salutations completely through my shoulders I was bench pressing my way through everything because the core system didn't want to work but I didn't know that and I couldn't feel it for myself so she helped me to to take all that down and I I worked with her it was interesting it's very frustrating for the brain to unlearn and relearn it's a it's a process that um you were talking about that natural curiosity and a desire to develop earlier and it, it is exactly that you know there were so many times that I came out of those sessions with her. She used to teach one-to-one in her house. She's a little Tibetan Buddhist lady and I used to go there. And, um, you know, the amount of times I'd just come out and I'd be rage crying and kick the tire on my car. And I just couldn't get this stupid bloody movement and it was all a load of rubbish anyway and I you know but I would go back next week because I had my last ticket and then I just wasn't going I wasn't going to lose the the however much money it was to to go to her classes so I would go next week and then that was it I was never going back because I was done with this utter you know bollocks movement and (laughs) um, you know 15 years I stayed with her (laughs) oh god I never left <laughs> took a sabbatical to China for three years, but you know, I came back and kept, you know, picked up where I left off and kept going with her for for many, many years, um, until she retired to to the monastery for good. And she does still teach there, but geographically, it doesn't quite work for us. But um, you know, it's just that I just think that's that's that natural curiosity to to retain that takes a flexibility of mind yeah um, and a kindness and a compassion with ourselves and a patience mm. um i think if any if the yoga practice has taught me anything it has been uh, my child has taught me this as well patience <laughs> and to just keep keep going with the process even when you 
have no clue where it's going when you don't know what you're doing you just have this faith and this trust that that it will it's for your best and highest good and you just keep going but a lot of the time all you get is just the the one next step you don't get this yeah broad view or about yoga as well is like I was into it when it you know wasn't and you're the same it wasn't necessarily hugely popular it was seen very much you had a lot of narratives around what do you do anyway you just lie down on a mat do you or you know that kind of thing or you had the other extreme of like oh you're a yoga yogi you can like bend yourself in half and contort and everything like that and those are the two sort of narratives you get fed and you're just like I always used to go back to people who said that to me and just be like you know, it wouldn't have been around for over 2,000 years if there was nothing to it. <laughs> I, well, I really believe that. I mean, 5,000 years is just when they wrote the, you know, they wrote the Upanishads down. Mm. And we know that it was practiced long before they scribed anything. And also we know that a lot of the text has been, you know, destroyed. So because they just, they just simply don't last that long. So this this spiritual practice, this movement practice is older than the, the hills. Mm. Um, fundamental underpinning of what it is to be human, I think, I believe. Because mm. yoga, whilst it is, you know, this this yoga is, is deeply entrenched in Hindu spirituality and in Indian roots, having lived in China for three years, same thing, different costume. You know, I learned yeah. eight brocades uh, Qigong when I was there. And there's not much difference between the two. Yeah. The, the lines between Qigong, Tai Chi and um, yoga really, really blur. So we keep coming back to these movement systems, if you like, mm-hmm. a way of moving the body to promote optimal health, to promote... Yeah, and chakras um, and energy centres, you know, there's a lot of crossover, isn't there? So. Yeah, yeah. it was no surprise to me. The first time I saw the fascial lines, which are real connective tissue continuities throughout the body, the first time I saw those in in a real schematic, they're called the anatomy trains, created by a chap called Tom Myers, and he was the first to dissect these fascial continuities out of the body. And of course, he laid them down in these plates, these slides, and you can see them in their different different layers. And um, you look at them, and you're like, oh, shit, it's meridians or nadis <laughs> or, you know, wherever you want to yeah. wherever you want to place your How amazing is that? your geographical compass really yeah. we keep coming I was talking about this a lot earlier in the week actually um we keep coming back to this recurring schematic mm. it doesn't matter where in the world you get the text from mm. whether whether it's ancient or whether it's modern we keep coming back over and over again to this yeah. you know meridian schematic um is they they're maps but if you lay them one over the top of the other regardless they of where they come from they're all and this of, is something as well without again as ever going off on too much of a tangent I mean I I define myself as a spiritual agnostic in that but what I find <laughs> fascinating is that actually using the comparison between the different human created religions and if people actually looked at that and looked at the fact that what is actually take out all the specific beliefs you're trying they were created generally both 
as a way of teaching illiterate people morals <laughs> and guidance yes. yeah. and and also to have a belief that there's something bigger than them and then the negative side of it all was to control society in some good ways and some bad ways but all of them have that at their root but actually there's so much crossover I was having this really fascinating discussion in a networking meeting the other day where it was you know someone um from sort of black history like genetic history someone from like islamic history and me from like i mean i'm a right old mixture but like my mum's side of the family are jewish my dad's side of the family are christian i was brought up as um like not really having any religion in the family that kind of thing but i've kind of learned things and found things which help me like gratitude journaling and and she was saying you know this islamic background person was saying you know how much she loves to pray and and just get it out of her body and I'm like well hang on a minute like and she did actually recognize the fact that this whole piece of whether that manifests as therapy whether it manifests as journaling whether it manifests as praying chanting dancing you're getting stuff out of your body which needs to move its energy so actually look at the comparisons and we'll have a lot more to talk about rather than everyone clashing over the things which are different do you know what I mean yeah the well you know when you follow when you follow it down to its fundamental underpinning mm. you know, the teachings of Christ are no different to the teachings of the Buddha are no different to the teachings of mm. Muhammad or you know or, or just agree. go all the way through it the fundamental underpinning is be a good person don't yeah. be an art yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> you know be nice to everybody else develop yourself yeah yeah um, you know and take also care it's of that not following it blindly you know there's certain things which you know were brought in at certain times and recognized that's why it was brought in it was brought in at that point in life because people were having too many children so they said oh you know let's create a nuclear family because that will fix societal's problems you know or whatever or it's it's actually questioning those things or let's all eat fish on a friday because probably people didn't eat enough fish you know it was just like actually got my pasta <laughs> you always have um, to eat beforehand my partner is italian ah so we're never short of food around here ah, um nicely done my, uh, nicely done <laughs> it wasn't intentional my dreams of skinny are ruined uh, he wasn't skinny just, anyway I'd much rather just, be Nigella than it's just never gonna you know it's the world's greatest excuse as well it's just like oh well my partner's Italian what can I say <laughs> exactly I love that I don't know why my cat has gone into a meowing fest. It's coming in, in from the rain. Oh, is it raining? Oh, it is raining. I see. Yeah. Oh. Mom, it's raining. It's raining. Yes, I know. It's, it's fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny. He's definitely got more neurotic since the kids as well. Oh, okay. The cat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just got May May from um the rescue center. Mm. I think we got her in 
April time, I think. Oh, she's quite new. Yeah, she's quite new. She's quite new. She's middle-aged. She's seven, I think. Mm. Or they think she's somewhere around seven. But yeah, she's good. She just hangs around. She's not naughty. My daughter yeah. loves her. We needed a we needed a fair companion. Yeah, um, I think cats are brilliant for that. I mean, Akito is just so part of the family. He's hilarious, really. He just thinks he's another kid to the point <laughs> where he'll actually go on the trampoline with the boys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he'll, gosh, be, is... he'll be like, they'll be bouncing and he's like on it as well. I'm like, really? <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, he, he's a funny old boy. <laughs> right. Shall we go on? So, um, where do you want so to? We were kind of talking about yoga and all the different. Um, I just wanted to just get a definition from you of the Iyengar yoga because we talk about what Ashtanga is. Could you just speak to what Iyengar is quickly? So, Iyengar is, was a person. Mm. So, BKS Iyengar was an Indian man and a yoga teacher well, yogi and yoga teacher. And he was instrumental in bringing yoga over to uh, the West. They say the West is kind of UK, US sort of stuff. So he was teaching and demonstrating this, you know, yoga um, all over Europe and all all over uh, UK and sort of of 50s, 60s, 70s, that kind of, there was a, there was an expansion, I think, over here with regards to movement. You know, it was kind of, if you look at some, I always look at the Beatles, Sergeant Pepper's yeah. um, Hearts Band. It's, it's that kind of, it was the 60s. And yeah. there was just this kind of, I think post-war, there was a collective call for peaceful practices. You know, where, yeah. where, where did we find the balance? And people started to really look into meditation mindfulness you know obviously people always talk about lsd and the drug side of it people smoking smoking weed but you know as with all things things get a little bit the perception of it all gets a little bit skewed yeah definitely i did this fascinating module when i was um at uni called um 1960s radicalism and counterculture Mm. and the premise of it was that my generation's perception of the 60s never actually existed. Yeah. And in reality, it was a real blend between for the most average people in their late teens, early 20s, they were still living like the 1950s, very much like mini adults. Um, And then you had like a real sort of small, almost quite cultish, like fused, streets in London and who are real hippies and went to all these festivals and did all these drugs and everything and then but you also had this radicalism coming in like through the feminist movement through you know the civil rights movement and everything like that so that was going on as well but it was it was just such a fascinating sort of dive into it all and how like what we saw of it wasn't exactly most people's living experience of it do you know what I mean well a little bit like the age that we're in now you know there is a dynamic shift happening now that you know future generations will look back on Mm. as we radically change our landscape obviously with the 
the advent of AI and, you know, those conversations mm -hmm. that are happening. But it's kind of, you know, layers upon layers upon layers because, you know, on the one hand, you can talk about yoga and the shift towards mindfulness and that that kind of um, that hippie type culture. Mm -hmm. But it was buttoned very tightly into the fact that we had created birth control. Yeah. For the first time ever, women could have sex freely. Yeah, with, how fundamental that was. Pregnancy, and that had never been seen before. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, more like, oh, hippies in the free love movement. It wasn't, it was, there was a sexual liberation happening yeah, for women, uh, you know, across the uh, across the Western world. So, you know, it's sort of, there's this, it's like the milfoy where it's just layers and layers and layers, so many different things happening within such a short space of time. Okay. You know, massively short space of time, um, a little bit like we are experiencing now. You know, we're, we're really starting to see the, uh, the shifts that the 60s feminist movement sort of got put into action. We're really starting to see the end game of that now and the rebalancing that happens but of course it's layered on top of AI which is layered on top of equal rights in the workplace which is layered on top of yeah. the fact that we can now freeze and then our in own some contract. western societies that's all gone to shit as well like in America yeah and, yeah and, absolutely and, and but actually I always say that you know even when things go badly I think the mindset that we're now in well, for me anyway, is that is that learning piece. Um, so I said on my last podcast, and without deep diving into what's going on in America too much, but actually the side which has come out of people having their rights taken away from them is it's really opened my eyes to how big an argument that is of whether you prioritise the mother's body over the child's body and all the many reasons why you would do that. Um, and I've had my eyes open to that as well. So you, my hope is, you know, it was something I learned about. We talked offline beforehand about, you know, further education and just education in general, you know, how it can open your mind and make you question the world you're living in and everything. And I remember learning about postmodernism for the first time and how everything works in circles. And that just resonated with me straight away. Um, but like the older I get, this the more I see things as cyclical, you know, and actually that's nature, isn't it? And that's, you know, goes against that linear narrative. Um, but that goes through everything, really. It's fascinating. Absolutely. And, you know, and in the dismantling of something, the pendulum swing has to be, you know, back in back in the other direction. It it goes to the extreme, one extreme and then to the other, and then the mm. balance is found in the middle is the way that I I kind of believe that things move. And in the you know, limited 40 years I experience I have, then yeah, you'd start to see the cyclical nature of things. And you know, when a system is not good enough as it was with Roe versus Wade, it was a system, but it wasn't it wasn't a freedom mm -hmm. it was a, you, you know it was a ruling so for it but in order to dismantle that there yeah. has to be an extreme swing in the other direction that's not comfortable no and it is you know and but we see this in so many different areas where there's a dismantling of the system you know a little bit like the the field that I work in we are seeing the systems of healthcare change fundamentally the yeah. NHS is you know undergoing a, a radical shift at the moment we don't really know mm. where 
where that's going to end up. But in order for the better thing, I always work on the premise, if not, there's something better. So, you know, in order for the better thing to come through, there has to be a dismantling and a shift in a direction of something that may not be comfortable. And at the moment that manifests in gargantuan waitlist times, Mm. uh, you know, in not being able to access healthcare, healthcare facilities that we desperately Mm. need people Mm -hmm. waiting far too long or not getting the care that they need nine, 10 hours for an ambulance, five years for a knee replacement, that sort of stuff that's happening for us at the moment. Mm experiencing that as a reality at the moment is that you, you know real extreme shift mm-hmm. over to one side before you know something gets built to you know to change but I think that's so interesting that as you're talking other. because it's just like that's on the societal level but that's also very much in relation to like your story my story about finding a personal health challenge and how hard it was to go through that and how we learned from that. So we kind of came from this awful challenge, whatever, however that was. And then and then through going through that hardship, all the lessons and all the actual gifts which you've been given through through that. And I just think that's such a beautiful way to look at life, isn't it? Um, is that actually if we, you know, I never quite finished that. Um, what's it called? Sophie's Sophie's Law is it? Sophie's Law, the um, philosophy for beginners book. You might know it from like the nineties. There was a, I can't remember what it's called now. It was Sophie. It was something Sophie. But um, the the premise of things that you have to have the extremes in order to appreciate what you have you have to have the bad in order to appreciate the good you have to learn from it you have to have the you know if you just go along in life mediocre the whole way then no one learns anything <laughs> so it, yeah, it's so absolutely. important to have that difference right let's go on to um talk about your adventure to China and how that affected your narrative yeah that was interesting so um I finished my training in China because mm-hmm. in 2009, we, uh, my ex-husband had a job offer and um seemed like a good idea for us at the time to just go and explore where that would take us. You know, my daughter was very young and um, we had this kind of gap in our lives to be able to do that. So I ended up living in Beijing and teaching yoga to the expat community Mm. but always on a on a voyage of Mm. self-development I started to have a look at traditional Chinese medicine and because you know like attracts like I soon met other Mm. therapists and people that were working in the same sort of circles as me so Mm. met lots of acupuncturists got very excited about EMP or electromagnetic pulse which there are a few things over here that now there are a few machines over here and there's a few therapists that use, you know, aligning uh, techniques for electromagnetic fields. But for the Chinese, this is just normal. Mm. Um, And, you know, things like having a foot massage three times a week. Mm. So the first time I went and the lady ran her knuckle up the sole of my foot and I squeaked 
And she said, oh, this is good for you. You come back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so but there, the thing that I really took away from living there was that I, there is no NHS for a start. Mm-hmm. You just don't get sick if you can help it. Mm-hmm. So the approach, their approach to health and well-being is so markedly different than our own. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, we, we get sick and we go and get a, sick, a sticking plaster. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I get sick, now I go and see someone. No, mm-hmm. the other way around is I see someone and keep everything running as right as I possibly can because their ethos behind everything is your body's not supposed to be sick. Uh-huh. Something is going fundamentally wrong. Your body is distressed about something. Amazing. Don't get sick. So everything there is geared towards prevention. I love and, that. You know, 6 a.m. outside all the big um, apartment blocks, mm. 6 a.m., everybody's out there, the, the whole all the people so whether they're six years old to 99 years old they're all out there in the morning doing their tai chi and their their movement and just you you can walk around i used to cycle around beijing i had a swedish client that i used to see at um (laughs) at 6 a.m it was pretty cycling around cycling around the the beijing at 5 30 in the morning and just seeing these pockets of people all up at 5.30 in the morning, meditating in the park, sitting out the front of their building, doing their movement practices, some of them in very large groups all moving together. They'd obviously done this, um, you know, they had this routine that they were working through, as I say, eight brocade. Qigong is a very standard, it's a standardized sequence of movements that are, you know, the brocade is the silk thread, it's all chained together. So you move through them in a sequence. And then same thing in the evening. So at 6 p.m., everybody comes out because, you know, it doesn't rain in Beijing. It's north China. It's near the Gobi Desert. So there's not weather extremes particularly. Um, And everybody's out the front and then they're dancing. So they're, you know, dancing with swords, dancing with fans. Um, Always used to make me laugh a lot. American line dancing. They'd obviously got themselves a ghetto blaster from somewhere. Um, (laughs) They had this, you know, terrible tape cassette of of um some some american music but yeah absolutely absolutely hilarious um but it was all you know and then the older generation the the people that i work with we call them the third age because i I can't stand the term aging or anti-aging or whatever Mm. it is so anyway people that are in their third age they spend their time they play mahjong they play mahjong which is a like a, a Chinese checkers game mm-hmm. um, and failing that they're all in the outdoor parks, which are the gyms that we have here, you know, but not so much, but you know, where you sit and you swing your feet and the push up bars, yeah, and yeah, yeah. bars and, you know, all of these things. And you just see all these people and they move constantly. Mm. And every street corner is a, is a massa massa or foot massa or, acupuncturist or you know they do this thing called cupping yes yes my me the jury is slightly out on the cupping thing I'm not sure about having coagulated uh blood products under the surface of the skin but you know that's another <laughs> that's another, another thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's another thing but um 
you know, just this this whole thing towards health, towards keeping everything balanced, towards keeping everything aligned. And, you know, and then, of course, coupled with a diet that is noodles, noodles and dumplings uh, and soups and stews and warming broths. And I mean, the thing is, to me, I mean, very much from the outside, because I've never lived in China or whatever, but um, a lot of the countries, Asian countries in the East and which are seemingly more connected with this sort of narrative and, and, and the traditional medicine and everything on the one hand, they seem to be a society of extremes because you kind of have that going on on the one hand, but then there's almost like an even more intense, crazy capitalism happening on the other hand, where people, you know, are working in factories or working, working, working to death you know, on, on on the other side. And it seems to me as well that there's a certain piece around what is progress and do we deny our heritage? Do we deny all these teachings? You know, do we listen to our elders? And it's it seems to be a society of extremes and there's some people who, who believe in it all and other people, I mean, I guess that's the case with all society, but what's your take on that whole piece? I think the influence of the West, certainly with the the government before this government mm-hmm. uh, that's in in China at the moment, the the influence of the West is quite high, and and to them it denotes affluence. Mm. So to be able to take your lunch in McDonald's n- denotes that you are affluent and you are able to afford those things. Mm. Um, you know to spend. A ridiculous amount of money. So, in some for some people, three quarters of their paycheck will be spent on the new iPhone that just came out, and they will queue for days to get it mm. um, because they're very much, as far as I can tell, they're very focused on external appearances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to have things that are, you know, the Gucci bag, and the, mm. it's interesting because all the all the expats are in the markets buying all the hooky goods. So I've got more Gucci bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, these things that, that you know, didn't cost a lot of money because um, you can buy those from the markets very cheaply. Chinese people will never buy those mm. ever. So and because they, they want the real thing, because the real thing means something mm. to them. So to to have to have those things. So they are kind of they're caught they're in a catch-22 and of course the the systems that we are talking about pre predate the communist movement Mm. so you know the these are the old ways from back before you know this modern china was built with with um, modern values you know, communism and the, the being part of your country and doing the right thing for your country and all of that stuff, being loyal, being patriotic, being, being you know, all of that stuff uh, is is all, that's quite a modern thing for them. So there, there is, it's interesting, it's it's a paradox. Mm, I think that's Beijing was a shock because when we originally said we were going to go, you can look at Beijing and it's very shiny, it's very new, and it looks like a very Western-facing, modern city. It's not. It's like a scratch card. You get there, you scratch the surface ever so slightly, and you're back in a hutong. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, you know, bamboo steamers at the side of the road, and there's, you know, this 
villagey feel to it that is you know 40 years behind us so they they are paradoxical mm. in culture it's 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 a fascinating culture i i just spent my time awed by mm. by the whole thing you know and like so many of many countries i won't say just asian countries because that's not true but so many countries around the world this you know abject poverty sat opposite mm. you know, affluence and money mm. well it might be fair to say developing countries as we categorize them but i don't know but then you could say you, you do get the same in the uk you know sometimes that you do yeah. get very poor people living right next to very very rich people and yeah you know, when you have... it's just part of the human condition you know yeah when you have people in the UK that are either choosing, choosing to put beans on toast on, on the table or choosing to put on their heating, mm. um, and then, of course, you have people that are at the top of very large companies, say London-based companies, you know, there, there is that divide there. Mm. I think, do we hide it better? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes. Hard to say. Sometimes. Hard to say. You know, I, th I think maybe the poverty divide is more extreme in those countries, perhaps that you can, you can, it's, it's more visible, you can see it more. Yeah, it's fascinating. But it really, it helped me to drive my work towards more prevention based. Mm. You know, I, I really wanted to, to seed that into um, the then intelligent movement and get people thinking I wanted to change the narrative around the normalizing we've been it's being systematically normalized to us particularly with what's happening in the NHS in the yeah. last few years it has been pushed harder now than it ever has that it is normal for you to have aches and pains as you're aging it's normal for you to mm. be experiencing things in your body and it's simply not true mm. it's not true but it it is being you know, and I hear this all the time from clients in my clinic, you know, while well, I'm, I'm 45 now, what do you expect? And I say, well, I, I expect more. Yeah. I, yeah. I, expect, more. I expect more for you, I'm, not I'm for not just, you, not yeah. from, yeah. from you, yeah. but for Absolutely. you. Yeah. yeah. Expect more for yourself. Demand, demand yeah. more. You know, you want to have higher. I think this is the thing as well. It's being your own health advocate. And I think for me, this is the thing of, again, going through the struggles I've I've personally gone through is I recognize the importance now of knowing my own body and being able to go to a health professional. And, and much as I was sort of saying, I can't remember if it was online or offline now, about, you know, separating out and taking a village approach to raising a child you know take the village approach to raising yourself as well I, I guess it's kind of that's the whole thing of breaking the patriarchy breaking um capitalism you know looking at a different way of doing things is that you don't need to see things as hierarchical you can th see things as well that person has a specialism in that particular thing and that could help me yes doctors go to university for a ridiculous amount of time but they don't necessarily they're not gods they're still humans you know and and they don't necessarily know the body you've been living in 35 years as well as you do you know so you need to actually go to them not as a complete naive 
tell me what to do, I'm broken. But actually <laughs> go there with your knowledge and your understanding of what works for you. Um, and you're going to have so much more of a powerful interaction. But we're not taught to do that because we've been taught from tiny that, oh, you must worship them. You know, that they're the they're the ones who know everything. Yeah, I, I really feel that, um, you know, and this is something behind TGT and it's something that I also took home from living in Asia was you're not broken. Mm. And therefore you don't need a fix. And the pickle that we've got ourselves into is that we have an arrogance that we think we know better than the body. Mm. And what I really found when I was working, I spent some time down in Thailand as well. They have a deep understanding that of this fundamental law that your body knows what it's doing. It is hardwired to be human you are hardwired to be human but that is not part of the prefrontal cortex this is hardwired into your ancient brain nobody told your babies to start banging their heels mm. to get their psoas ready so that they could flip onto their front to stand up you don't have to tell them that mm-hmm. it's a natural inbuilt um system that is laid down we are a highly intelligent self-healing organism you don't have to stitch your finger if you get a paper cut mm. You, you know, are there times when we need to intervene to help the process? Yes, there is. If you have cut yourself with a knife, then, yeah, you're going to need some stitches. Mm. And we need to aid the healing process. Mm. The problem that we've got ourselves into now is that we're in such high levels of intervention that we think we know better. Mm. I find in a lot of cases, actually, that's that's not exactly true. I work with people with multiple intervention, and they started at one point, and they had a surgery and then they went, you know, then that's resulted in something else going wrong and then some other symptoms or they've taken some drugs for something and then they've got side effects from that, which has given them other issues. And then there's an but it comes from that whole black and white linear narrative again, doesn't it? And this was something, again, which I learned through taking quite extreme medication for acne, actually, yeah. uh, was that the world is you know your body isn't black and white if, if you take something really extreme like that you're going to break other things because you're you're destroying that balance which is naturally in your body so you need to actually work on recreating that and actually having understanding of the balance of the gut fundamental to to ever it is that fascinating piece i think so, it's i it's, mean we're kind of talking around this now but it's it's the interesting thing and why I find so fascinating about how you've deep dived into the yoga world as a healing strategy is it's a crossover between the science and the spirituality worlds um, and actually not seeing it as you have to be a scientist or you have to be someone who's spiritual. It, it, they can combine. There is a relationship there. And right. <laughs> I'll put myself on mute while I chew the apple. Okay. <laughs> I have a very um Thank you for tuning in to the Jam Jar Jill podcast where I try and use this platform to educate, inform, entertain and empower you to take charge of your own health both mental and physical.
in a more natural way. If this content resonates with you, I would absolutely love it if you could go to whatever platform you're listening on and give us a like or a follow. It's usually at the top of any of the platforms. There's usually either a tick box or a follow button where you can follow along. This is the most important thing to the podcast because it means that you won't miss an episode and it also means that we won't miss you as we put episodes out. I really hope this content makes your day better and um, gives you some food for thought about the subject matter. Again, if a particular episode really resonates with you, please do like it. Please do comment with any thoughts you have on it. And please do share it with a friend or with your community. I really, really appreciate your support as I try and build this platform. Thank you. Sending you love and likes.